So this is our last week of our three-week Advent series that we've been on. Um, So our theme, for those who don't remember, is when Christ comes, what does he bring? Um, So Advent uh, means coming, so we anticipate... Oh my gosh, I always forget. Okay, Jam, go ahead and go out. You all are dismissed. We need, like, future note. We need a separate part in our schedule where someone different comes up and dismisses Jam. Because I'll never do it. The Jam guy. Cody's going to be the Jam guy. (laughs) All right. So yeah, we're talking about when Christ comes, what does he bring? As we, as we talk about Advent, we anticipate the coming of Christ. Both we put ourselves in our shoes remembering the people before Christ who awaited the promised Messiah, and we live today awaiting his second coming when he returns to make all things new. And so the first week we talked about how Christ brings change, just this idea that when Christ comes, things are different. He doesn't come into our world or come into our hearts and leave things in the same state that he found it. And that's good news. And then John talked last week about how when Christ comes, he brings purpose. He frees us from meaningless lives or just from living for worldly things, and he gives us a mission and a purpose uh, to serve him and to go out and uh, live in this way that he's called us to. So today we're going to actually talk about some more traditional Advent themes. Um, So I don't know if any of you guys knew this, but there's actually like Advent candles. Did anyone know that? Am I the only one who didn't know? Maybe I'm too Protestant and (laughs) non-denominational. But so yeah, this is like a traditional, I think, Catholic thing uh, where during Advent they have the Advent wreath, um, and I think the circle of the wreath symbolizes God's like unending faithfulness. Uh, And then there's these four candles that symbolize these four traditional things that we talk about during Advent. So there's hope and peace, and faith, and joy, I think, are the four ones of those. So if I had known that before this weekend, then maybe I could have like planned a cool thing around those four. But I did want to talk about two of those uh, classic ideas of Advent, that Christ brings peace, and that Christ brings, brings hope. But as we talk about these things, I also want to talk about the flip side of them. So we're going to start by talking about how Christ brings peace, but also about how Christ brings a sword. So yeah, at Christmas time during Advent, we always love to talk about how Christ brings peace, which is absolutely true. But at the same time, Christ's coming creates a deep divide between those who are with Him and those who are against Him. So we'll get into more of that sword side later, but we'll start with the good news of peace. So what even is peace? In the Old Testament, the word is shalom. And you guys might remember we watched some of those word study videos from the Bible Project. Um, I'd encourage you to go watch those on your own. Again, they have an an Advent series where they talk about these common Advent words and what they mean. So shalom, this word means complete or whole. So maybe not quite uh, what we typically think of with peace where we talk about um, unity between people, but more like wholeness in a relationship to God where it's complete and made whole, um, and wholeness of an individual person where there's peace within a person, um, yeah, where they're made whole um, and completely built up and doing what they're supposed to. So when we say that God brings shalom, when God brings peace, 
He's not just bringing an end to bad things and that's it, but he's actively restoring and making things whole again. So listen to Isaiah 9, uh, one of our classic Advent passages where it talks about the peace that God brings. It says, To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. Of the greatness of his government and shalom, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So when Jesus brings peace, when he brings this shalom, this government and this kingdom that he brings will never end. Will be made whole forever. In the New Testament, the word is erene. And it means um, a similar thing, but also means uh, this comfort and this hope. Luke 2.14, the angels proclaim this peace. They say, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And then in John 14.27, Jesus tells his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So, so what sort of peace does Christ bring? I think first and foremost, we have to recognize that Christ brings peace between man and God. I think this incredible gift of peace might be lost on us as people who are living a couple thousand years after Jesus already came. So let's go back and imagine ourselves awaiting the Messiah, awaiting the coming of God's promised Messiah. Think of the seemingly vast distance between these people and God. How they had this whole temple system and all these sacrifices, and they had inside the temple the holy place and the holy of holies. And that was the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God's presence dwelt, where heaven met earth. And no one was able to access that other than one person one time a year. The high priest once a year would go into that holy of holies. So we might think about the Old Testament times and think, oh, God was everywhere and they were always seeing God and witnessing these miraculous acts. But probably most of the Jews in scriptural Old Testament times never saw any sort of miraculous event or, or uh, supernatural type thing. They just kind of lived their lives without really encountering the presence of God like we get to today. And so this idea that, that this divide between God and man has been torn down through the death of Christ is, is huge. That we have free access to God's throne and to his presence and that he dwells among us and in our hearts now. Ephesians 2 says, 2, 13 through 17, it says, But now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in his body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. 
He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. So perhaps the most incredible miracle of Advent is that we can now approach the throne of God with boldness and that God now dwells in human hearts. I love that image in Revelation at the very end where it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man. But in addition to bringing peace between us and God, Christ brings peace between his followers. As we unite ourselves in wholeness completely to God and to Christ, we must also be united with everyone else who is part of God's family. In Galatians 3.28, it says, There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, Republican nor Democrat, vaxxer nor anti-vaxxer. Interesting translation. I don't know where I got that from. (laughs) For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So if we follow Christ, then everyone else who also calls Christ Lord, we're called to be at peace with. We're called to live in unity with them. So yeah, I hope during this Advent season that we'll not only bind ourselves to God and remember that we've been joined into His family, but we'll remember that all these other people who have joined themselves to God, we must also call family and live at peace with. And then we're now given this ministry of reconciliation and peace, and not just to bring that peace to the family of God, but also called to minister that to the whole world. 2 Corinthians 5.18-20 says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So I'd ask each of you, do you see yourself as a minister of reconciliation? Are you someone who goes out and implores those who are lost to be reconciled to God? Or do you have a to hell with the world sort of attitude? Or maybe you're just kind of disengaged with the world and um, you're just kind of here coming to church, but, but we don't really engage outside of our Christian bubble and we don't really try to pull those um, who are outside and far away from God into peace with him. So yeah, I would challenge us to pursue, first of all, peace with God, and then after that, peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and then peace uh, with the world, drawing them into God's family as well. But now I want to turn to this flip side of it, that Christ, in addition to bringing peace, brings a sword. In Matthew 10, 34-36, he says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So yeah, how are we supposed to read this verse in light of what I just talked about? It almost seems like Jesus counteracted everything I just said. Um, But we know clearly from the message of Scripture that Christ does bring peace. 
that he does bring this shalom. But here in this passage, he's trying to emphasize that that peace comes at a significant cost. When we unite ourselves to God, we have to say no to everything that is not of God. And we have to create that division there, or or others might create that division for us. And we have to forsake those things that aren't of God. So he goes on in, in this passage at the end to say that we have to take up our cross and follow him. So this sword of Christ is going to cut out anything in our hearts and anything in our lives that isn't of God. And that's a piece of the good news, that God is cutting away all these broken and harmful things and that he's making us new. Yeah, I think this concept of the sword of Christ has been made clear to me over the past several years um, as I see this divide in my own family between parents and children and siblings. Um, I've talked many times about how my dad was put in prison uh, six or seven years ago, and he was a pastor, and so his, his fall from grace had a severe impact on my siblings who saw him as, as a role model of Christianity. So a lot of them have parted ways from Christ and, and are um, pretty against that just because of, of what they've seen in that. And so it's been hard being someone who's held to my faith and held to Christianity to figure out how to navigate that with my siblings because it's been very clear at certain points along the way that the things that I value and the things that I hold to because of my commitment to following Christ uh, set me at odds with my siblings at times. So initially when I uh, told them that I forgave my dad, not that I condoned what he did, but that I forgave him, um, that was completely contrary to the way that they saw the situation or the way that they would ever think about what would be right for handling that situation. And so trying to maintain that relationship with my dad and writing him and visiting him um, has created this tension in in those relationships. And a few years ago, we had this family scuffle where it was pretty clear that the the Christians in our family were kind of on one side of this argument and the non-Christians were on another side. And yeah, it's just when you follow Christ, there's going to be a cost. because your values are going to be the values of Christ and not those things that the world values. So yeah, as we examine how Christ brings peace, I want each of us to do some introspection. When we talk about Christ bringing peace and Christ bringing a sword, I hope you'll hear and process both parts of that and focus on maybe the the aspects of that that you might have been ignoring. So on one hand, I'll say if you feel distant from God or if you experience constant divisiveness in your relationships with um, other Christians, other believers, if you're quick to be up in arms and draw your sword and oppose anyone who attacks you, then I hope you're reminded very clearly about the, the peace that Christ brings and that you're called to be a minister of reconciliation. And then on the other hand, Maybe you struggle to be a people pleaser. Maybe, so to speak, you might have become a friend of the world. Are you afraid to clearly proclaim the truth of the gospel because you're afraid of how other people would perceive that and how they'll react? Or have you just become comfortable and materialistic? Then I hope you'll remember clearly this morning Christ's warning that he brings a sword. In James 4.4, it says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses 
to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So yeah, to wrap up this topic of peace, peace is very, very good news. This wholeness and completeness that God offers when we unite ourselves with Him. But it comes at a cost. It costs the precious blood of Christ, and it may cost our own, figuratively or even literally, for many Christians throughout history. So as Christians, we accept this free gift of peace from God, but then we go out and we extend that offer of peace uh, to all those around us, to those who are enemies of God. And then this second topic I wanted to talk about is how Christ brings hope. That's another common theme that we like to talk about at Advent, the hope that Christ brings. And then on the flip side of that, I want to talk about how Christ also brings hardship. With these past two years in our world and our country's history, there's been so much despair. And so Advent is good news because it reminds us that Christ brings hope. And we don't just look forward to the day when all things will be made new, but we have hope that's very real and applicable to our lives and our situations right here and now. That God can change our hearts, that God can change and heal the broken situations around us that we encounter. So yeah, this morning I want us to look and see, do we have an appropriate focus on both the hope and the hardship that come with following Christ? So what is hope? A lot of this comes from that Bible Project video on hope, another one you should check out. It's anticipating a future that is better than the present. It's a state of waiting or tense expectation. So in Hebrew, there's these words yakal and kaval. And this kaval has, uh, comes from a word that, that kind of brings this image of pulling a cord tight and this tension in that cord until there's the release. One of the quotes from that video that we've mentioned a few times is that biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. So it's not just, well, I, th I think it's probably pretty likely, so I'm going to hope that it's true. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. So when we look back at this crucified man, Jesus, rising from the dead, when we look back at God delivering the people of Israel through these waters and parting the sea for them, we see the constant faithfulness of God throughout Scripture and this ultimate act of God's faithfulness in the cross. Then we can look forward, we can look into our own lives, and we can look forward to the future and hope that God is going to bring about a future that surprising. But the advent of Christ also brings hardship. When people tried to follow after Christ in the Gospels, he started off with bad news. He said, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. We could probably teach Jesus a lot today about how to run a seeker-sensitive church. I don't think he was very good at that. But yeah, he was quick to warn people about the cost of following him. 
No matter what path you choose in life, whether you follow Christ or not, it's going to come with hardship. But for the life of the Christian, it almost seems to be a selling point. In Luke 9, 23-24, it says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. And then 2 Timothy 3.12 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So some of our hardship as we follow Christ comes due to this intentional loss and this intentional giving up of the things that once were dear to us. It's that sword that I talked about earlier, cutting out these things that, that aren't of Christ um, that we once loved. Some of it comes due to the rejection and persecution of other people as they see us following Christ and are opposed to that. And then some of it just comes due to the stark reality of living in this present world before its ultimate redemption by Christ. So we know that we're going to have hardship, but as Christians we also know that we have hope. And our hope gives us the strength and perseverance to endure that hardship. Listen to this good news from Isaiah 40, 28-31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. In His understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So as we rest and rely on God, we'll be given the strength that we need to endure the hardships that we encounter today. And we'll hope in this future that we know that God is going to bring about. So yeah, as we introspect on this, I would ask, have we counted the cost of following Christ? Does your brand of discipleship include taking up your cross and dying to yourself? Or have you subscribed to this brand of Christianity that's easy and comfortable? If that's the case, I'd challenge you to embrace this message of hardship. But on the other hand, are you constantly miserable and beaten down by the state of the world? Have you forgotten about what lies in store for Christians and for all of creation? Have you lost your fight or grown apathetic because nothing seems to be changing? Then I would encourage you to embrace this message of hope during this Advent season. And remember that Christ is going to be making all things new and He's starting that now. I wanted to talk a little bit about this idea of apathy because... I've kind of realized as I've talked to people that that's been something that's growing a lot in people, I think especially over these last couple years. In our small group, we talked about this a few weeks ago. And we read this article which started with a quote from a, a Christian who said, I take hands off in this, in this prayer that he was saying to God. He said, I take hands off. And this article talked about how that statement can be perceived or, or can be made in one of two ways. It could be a statement of apathy that I'm out of, I, I don't know how to control anything. Things aren't going the way that I wanted. So I take my hands off and I'm just giving up and not really engaging with things anymore. 
It's this idea of apathy, which means away from pathos, away from suffering or any form of intense experience. But then there's this other idea of taking hands off, which is Christian surrender, where we choose to let go of our lives and these circumstances around us, choose to let go of that control and actively commit to live under Christ's will through the power of the Holy Spirit. We decide that whatever comes, we take hands off. We don't need to be in control of the situation, but we trust that Christ has a plan and that He's working all things out. So yeah, I'd encourage you if you've felt a growing apathy in your heart, I know that's something I've struggled with in my own life, that you would choose to engage, that you would take your hands off in a way uh, that you're surrendering to Christ, but not that you're giving up hope or giving up and engaging with the world. So as Christians, we ultimately, we ultimately bring a message of hope and good news to the world. The world is going to get better. All of heaven and earth will be made new. And we eagerly anticipate the return of Christ. And in the meantime, we embrace hardship in this world with the full confidence and hope that Jesus has overcome the world. So I hope we'll be encouraged by these messages of peace and hope. And I hope we'll also be challenged by these ideas of the sword and the hardship that come with following Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for Advent where we can remember Your coming and where we can celebrate that. It truly is good news for all of the world, Lord God. We pray during this season that You would remind us of these truths, that You bring peace and hope, but that that comes at a cost. Yeah, I ask that we would count that cost, that we would realize that all the hardship we endure, all the things that have to be cut out, um, that it's all worth it for this hope and this peace that you bring. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen.